When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. This concludes the reading of God's law. Would you uh, please be seated? So God forbids his people from participation in witchcraft, sorcery, and other occult practices. Um, Lest we conclude that this Old Testament law doesn't apply to us today, let me remind you that um, God's morality does not change. What was abominable to him in the Old Testament remains abominable to him in the New Testament. And this is why sorcery is listed among the sins of the flesh in Galatians 5. And Revelation 21 verse 8, along with 22 verse 15, declare that anyone who's engaged in sorcery is destined for the lake of fire. And so these prohibitions are just as relevant today as they were in Moses' day. Therefore, we need to take them seriously, very seriously. If you look at the list of uh, occult practices Moses mentions in our reading of God's law, you'll notice it covers a variety of sinful practices. Divination is seeking to attain secret knowledge, especially about future events. This includes things like interpreting omens, reading the stars, uh, reading tea leaves in a cup, uh, reading tarot cards, and those type of things. Mediums, necromancers, and spiritists are people who consult the dead with the hope of learning um, knowledge about the things that God has chosen not to reveal about the future. Uh, Moses, is, uh, he also writes about the evils of sorcery. Uh, whereas the diviner tries to attain knowledge about future events that have not yet happened, the sorcerer tries to control current events by using various forms of magic, witchcraft, and spells. Sorcerers, magicians, and witches, they're all in league with unholy spirits which enable them to cast spells seeking to influence people for their own selfish purposes. And a lot of modern day Westerners discount this type of magic and occult activity. A lot of modern day Westerners are inclined to scoff at these things. They say that the occult is not real, that it's just a bunch of sleight of hand or sensationalism. But if you talk to overseas missionaries who have gone into Uh, places like Africa and Asia, they'll strongly disagree with you. They'll tell you of these strong demonic forces that hold people, many people, in bondage and fear. And and these, these same, and here's the reality, these same demonic forces 
are at work in the, the modern Western world that we inhabit, only they operate with greater subtlety. Why? Because this is a more effective means with Westerners, a more, effective, a more effective tactic. It's a tactic of the devil to make you think that um, he doesn't really exist or to make you think that all the demonic activity we read about in the Bible doesn't happen today. That's, that's for back then, but that doesn't happen today. But be forewarned that those who doubt the presence of demons today are the very people who are most susceptible to being lured into their snares. And if anyone thinks that he can flirt or dabble with divination, magic, witchcraft, sorcery, or the occult, then he needs to listen again to Moses' admonition in verses 12 and 13. For all those who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Blameless means not being involved in the occult in any way, shape, or form. Either as a person who performs these abominations or as a person who re- who's on the receiving end of these abominations. In other words, the person who's receiving the fortune is just as guilty of the sin of source, uh, fortune-telling as the person who's telling the fortune. It's just as sinful to be the person who's communicating with the dead as it is to be the person who's receiving the communication from the dead or who's receiving a communication from the person who received a communication from the dead. When King Saul visited the witch of Endor, he was engaging in the same sin of divination that that witch was. Even though their roles were different, they were both guilty of divination. These supernatural forms of evil are not a joking matter. Sometimes Christians dabble with these things because they think that it's funny or they think that it's just a game. They don't take the warnings of Scripture seriously. So they experiment with a Ouija board or they visit a psychic or they visit a palm reader. It doesn't matter whether these things are being done merely for entertainment. It's still a sin. It's still an abomination to the Lord. God says in very explicit terms that these are an abomination to him and we are not to participate in them. He says that we need to be blameless in these matters. So given God's strong admonition against magic and witchcraft, sorcery and the occult and everything else that Moses lists here, how are Christians supposed to respond when people invite us to play board games or role-playing games that involve magic? Does God care if you play Dungeons and Dragons? Or how are we to think about computer games that feature magic and sorcery? Does God care if you play World of Warcraft, the, Elders of the, uh, Elders, the Elder Scrolls, or Diablo III? Does God care about that? Or how are we to think about witchcraft, magic, sorcery, and the occult when it is featured in a movie? Does God care if you watch Star Wars? Does he care if you watch the Disney movie Enchanted? Does he care if you watch those old sitcoms, I Dream of Genie and Bewitched? Or what about when sorcery and magic are in the form of literature? Does God care if you read Harry Potter? 
Does God care if you read the Chronicles of Narnia? Does he care if you read the Lord of the Rings? The question I'm asking you to consider is whether God has given you the liberty to be entertained by the content that he expressly states is an abomination to him. This is a question we all need to take very seriously. We all need to give very serious consideration to this. Do you have the liberty to be entertained by content that God has expressly stated is an abomination to him? Sometimes we attempt to justify our participation in this type of material by pointing to Christian metaphors within the story. There's a savior figure who provides redemption at the end, so it's a metaphor of the gospel. That makes it a good story. Would you apply that same logic to trashy romance novels? Would you read a book that's filled with lust, adultery, and fornication if if there was a, a redemptive plot to the story? Or would you watch a movie that's filled with lust, adultery, and fornication if it had a redemptive plot? For those of you who are persuaded um, that God has given you the liberty to be entertained by books, movies, games, and so forth that feature the occult, I challenge you with the following question. Can you think of any other sin where God says, for you to participate in that activity is a sin to you, but for you to be entertained by watching other people participate in that sin is the liberty that I've given to you. What I'm challenging us to consider, and in many cases to reconsider, is how how determined and how inflexible God is about his people being blameless in association with magic, the occult, witchcraft, sorcery, and all the other abominations that Moses lists in Deuteronomy 18. Consider how determined and inflexible God is in this matter. Now somebody might be thinking, that's uh, legalistic to say that Christians shouldn't play Dungeons and Dragons or read Harry Potter. That's legalism. Well, let's define legalism. Legalism is is applying the law of God in, in ways that God never intended for his law to be applied. It's applying God's law in ways that he didn't intend for his, his law to be applied. So I grant the concern of legalism that needs to be factored into and considered as we give our consideration to this topic. And for that matter, a concern of legalism needs to be part of con- our consideration of every topic because every command of God can be used in a legalistic way. But it's not legalism, brothers and sisters, to say that Christians should abstain from the things that God identifies as sin. It's not, uh, we don't say that it's legalism to tell Christians not to be involved in murder. We don't say that it's legalism to tell Christians not to be involved in thievery. So why would it be legalism to tell Christians not to be involved in magic and the occult? Consider again the question I posed a minute ago. Can you think of any other sin where God says, for you to participate in this activity is a sin for you, 
but for you to be entertained by other people participating in that activity is a liberty for you. If you're thinking about your, as you're, as you're thinking about your answer to this question, think about it in light of Ephesians 5.3, which says not to let uncleanness even be named among you, for this is not fitting for saints. And think of your answer in light of 1 Thessalonians 5.22, which says abstain from every form of evil. And Philippians 4.8, which tells you to set your mind on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, things that are in which there is virtue and are praiseworthy. Now, I know my application of our reading of God's law this morning is hitting close to home for some of us. Um, there's, a, there's the question of where to draw the line between sin and liberty. Right? That, that's, a, that's a difficult question at times. And it's not exclusive to this issue of the occult and magic. It, in, in all manner of God's law, we have to draw a line between sin and liberty. And so the, 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 there, there's this question about where we draw this line. And what is indisputable is that God hates witchcraft, he hates magic, he hates sorcery, he hates the occult. And therefore, he strictly forbids us from participating directly in any of those things. And so that's not an issue. We know that the line is drawn uh, on this side, which makes all of those things sinful to participate, either in the one who practices it or the one who receives the, the fruit of that practice. But is reading a Narnia book or watching The Lord of the Rings a participation in these things? Some Christians say yes, some Christians say no. Some Christians draw the line on that side of Narnia, some people draw the line on this side of Narnia. And what, this is what Romans 14 describes as doubtful things. And it says that we should not dispute with one another over doubtful things. We can discuss the doubtful things. We can help each other come to a better understanding of these doubtful things and how we ought to respond to them in light of God's revelation to us. But we should not stand in judgment of each other on doubtful things, things that we hold differing opinions upon on those things that are ambiguous in Scripture. Romans 14 says that each of us is to be accountable to God as it pertains to how we deal with doubtful things. And God will be the one who judges us according to His perfect knowledge and His perfect wisdom. And so we don't take doubtful things and say they're unimportant and dismiss them no, they are important because we'll be accountable to God for how we deal with these doubtful things. But the point is, in Romans 14, we don't judge each other. We don't condemn each other for reading Narnia or reading uh, Lord of the Rings. But Romans 14 also says that if you're going to claim some liberty in this matter, then you need to be fully convinced in your own mind that this is a liberty that has been given to you by the Lord. Which means you must be able to demonstrate to yourself the biblical principles upon which your conclusion has been derived and not simply say to yourself, I just feel like these things are okay. Remember the warning of Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its, its end is the way of death. So your gut instinct 
is not an accurate determiner of what is right and wrong. You must be fully convinced in your own mind, according to Romans 14, which means you must have a biblical justification for claiming this liberty. God's living and, pow- God's living and powerful word is what informs us about what is right and wrong. And the Holy Spirit applies the word of God to our hearts and minds, testifying to our spirit about what is true and convicting our conscience about what is sin. So brothers and sisters, as you consider where to, draw, where to draw the line in this matter, don't stop wrestling with it until you are fully convinced by the word of God. And where the Holy Spirit has borne witness to you of your sin, remember that God pardons and forgives all who truly repent while trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Repentance includes confession, and so we we bring our sins to the Lord by means of confession. Let's confess, brothers and sisters. Let's, uh, we'll have a time of silence in which you can confess your sins, and after a suitable time of silence, I'll lead us in a corporate confession as well. Let's pray.